Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. In chapter 6, we saw where there was the beginning of the breaking of the seals. Actually, six seals were broken in chapter 6. Then we had the interlude in chapter 7, which answered the question of who can be saved. Talking about the 144,000 anointed Jews, along with men and women from every tongue and every tribe and every nation will be saved during that time of the tribulation. Then we come to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is where there is the opening of the seventh seal. Now just to remind you, and I gave you that copy of the brochure from Dr. Jeremiah to help you put it in your mind. Remember that there's the breaking of the seven seals. When the seventh seal is broken, it introduces the seven trumpets of God. And then after you get to the seventh trumpet of God, then it also introduces the seven bowls of wrath. There's a pattern of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. Inside that pattern, if you'll notice, there's always a division of the first four, and then there are three. There are four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then there were three more that were getting to the final seal. Then there will be in the trumpets, there will be four trumpets that we will deal with today in chapter 8. And then there are three more trumpets. There are four bowls of wrath, and then there are three. And the division goes on, the pattern goes on beyond that. When it gets to the three, it's broken down to two and then one. So it's four, two, and one is the pattern it always follows. Now, when we come to chapter 8, verse 1, we find the breaking of the seventh seal. But in reality, all the events that happen from chapter 8, verse 1, till chapter 19, verse 10... All of those things are in the seventh seal. The trumpets, the bowls of wrath, along with some interludes in there that explains who the characters are and give other explanations. But as far as the seventh seal, it is from chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 19 of verse 10. Here in chapter 8, verse 1, let's read together regarding the breaking of the seventh seal. And when he broke the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Stop there for just a moment. Isn't that an interesting thing to be said? When he breaks the seventh seal before anything else happens, there's about a half hour in heaven where there is no sound, it's silent. One man said to his wife, Hon, I know that you're not going to be in heaven. And she said, how do you know that? Because it says there was 30 minutes when it was silence and there's no way you could be there because you're going to talk during that time. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily true, but isn't it interesting that there is, there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. You know what's interesting about that? Is the fact that from all creation, from the very first time God created anyone in the heavenly host, there has been the continuation of the praise and adoration of God. Every moment, every second in the realm of heaven, there is the adoration and praise of God. But for this time, God says there is no voice, there is nothing said, there is total silence in heaven. 
for those 30 minutes. Now, whatever that means, I can tell you it's pretty significant. One theologian said that he really believes that he basically said to John, John, I think you need to take a breath. (laughs) Just take a breath before you're about to see what else you're about to see. I could understand if I were John and all I'd seen so far, I'd be wanting to take a breath. But if there's anything that it stands for, it means this, that what is about to happen is very serious and very severe in relationship to God's plan on this earth. It's like God backs up and before he finally does that seventh seal and opens up the harsh judgment upon this world, God sits back in that period of time for 30 minutes and waits just a moment, possibly to give one more person an opportunity to respond Possibly in the very fact or the dread that he has to bring that judgment upon the world. See, if you have the image of God that God is wanting to judge the world and looks forward to judging the world, that's the wrong image. God is full of loving kindness and mercy and he wants all people to respond to the gospel, all people to be found under the blood of his son. But he also realizes this, for those who do not and for those who are not saved, that judgment must come, a righteous God must judge. And therefore, there is this 30 minutes of silence when the seal is broken before those final judgments are ushered in. Look what it says then happens in verse number two. And I saw the, you need to circle that little word, the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. The reason I had you to circle that word the, it's the definite article the. In the Greek language, there is no indefinite article like a or an, but if it ever uses the definite article the, it's very important. Which signifies that these are the seven angels who stand before the presence of God. It's like these angels have a specific and and wonderful purpose that they stand in the presence of God to carry out the work of God. We do not know the names of these angels except one. We do know one of their names. Did you know that? It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 19. It's when Zacharias was in there doing his work as a priest when the angel appeared to him to announce the birth of John the Baptist. And that angel in verse 19 tells him, I am Gabriel, an angel who stands before the presence of God. So we know one of those angels' names, his name is Gabriel. But there are seven angels who stand before the presence of God to carry out the work of God, to carry out blowing forth the trumpets of judgment. It says not only were those seven angels standing before God, But it said, each one of them was given a trumpet. Seven trumpets passed out to seven angels. I hope as you read the scriptures, you realize that the most popular instrument in the Bible was the trumpet. Not the harp, the trumpet. The trumpet is used many, many different ways and has many different significant meanings in regard to how it fits into scripture and God's plan. For instance, one of the things that a trumpet is used for is to declare war, is to declare war. Another trumpet would be issued and was ushered in to call the congregation to festivals and activities of celebration. And another time the trumpet was blown was whenever the crowning of a king would take place. Now think about that. 
seven angels being given seven trumpets. And in what's about to happen in chapter 8, verse 1 to the end of this book, you're going to find a number of things. One is God declares war on sin. God declares war on unrighteousness and on a sinful world and sinful men who would not be redeemed. God declares war and the trumpet blows. God also calls his people in this time to festivals and to celebration and to to the wedding feast of the Lamb and to a glorious experience that the people of God are going to have. And those trumpets signify the calling of the congregation of the faithful. And also in this, we're going to find out in these chapters that there's going to be the crowning of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will be recognized by all of creation that he is who he is. And therefore, those trumpets have a significant role in this, the seventh seal that is going to be broken. Seven angels in the presence of God with seven trumpets to blow. But before they blow the trumpet, it says there in verse 3, there was another angel. Look at what it says. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the altars of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Wow. Before those seven angels blow those seven trumpets... There is another angel. We will call him the priestly angel. The priestly angel who is going to carry out the works that would generally be done by a priest. Now many commentaries or a number of commentaries would like to say that this is a picture or a pointing out of the Lord Jesus. That this is Jesus who is the angel priest. But I really do not believe that this is a picture of Jesus. I believe it's an angel who's fulfilling priestly duty. The reason that I do not believe that it's Jesus is a number of reasons. One is that everywhere in the revelation, remember this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And everywhere in the revelation that it identifies Jesus Christ, it always distinctly identifies him with a role or with a title throughout the revelation. So I don't believe this is Jesus because it doesn't distinctly say that it is Jesus. Whereas, let me give you some examples. Whereas, if you'll look in the Revelation in chapter 1, Jesus is identified as the Son of Man. In Revelation chapter 5, he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In chapter 5, he's also called a Lamb that has been slain. In chapter 19, Jesus is identified as the Word of God. In other words, in Jesus' revelation, it seems as though he always distinctly reveals who he is and how he is represented or what title is given. That is not so in this passage in chapter 8. So I believe that it is a priestly angel carrying out the function of the priest. 
And oh, my friend, please do not miss, please do not miss the significance of what is taking place here before the trumpets are blown. In order to explain that to you, let's just imagine that I am in the tabernacle or the temple. And I just want to remind you a minute about how that was laid out. There was the outer court, and I'm standing in the outer court. And in the outer court, there was the brazen altar or the bronze altar. That altar is where the fire never died. It was always kept ablaze. Why? Because that's where the altar of sacrifice was. That's where they would bring the animal, kill the animal, bleed the animal, and offer that sacrifice as the payment or the atonement for sin. It's where the judgment of God was carried out against sin, against that sacrifice that was laid upon that brazen altar. All right? Then, whenever you move inside, you come to first the holy place. And the holy place, in the holy place, there were a number of things. First of all, there was the golden altar of incense that is right before the veil that enters in or that you enter into the holy of holies. On this side of the veil is the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant is in the mercy seat. Where the high priest went once a year to offer atonement. But there was this veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies, and right there in front of it was this golden altar of incense. There was also the table of showbread and the candelabra. There was those light, those things there. But the main thing we want to focus on is there was a second altar, and that's the golden altar, the altar of incense. What the priest would do twice a day, one priest, it was chosen by lot, would take the fire out of the brazen altar, those hot coals, would carry it into the holy place, would place it in the golden altar, and then would take the incense and offer the incense over the burning coals, and the sweet aroma of the presence of God would fill that place. It would fill that place, and and while that's happening, and this priest was doing that, then outside in the outer court, all the people were praying. And it was the idea that the prayers of the people were being offered up, but they were being accepted because the incense was being burned or the aroma of the presence of God was combined with the prayers of those people. It's interesting in that passage in Luke 1 I gave you, that's exactly what Zacharias was doing, remember? The lot had fallen on him that he would go in and he would burn incense when he encountered the angel Gabriel who gave him the prophecy about John the Baptist, all right? So now you got this in your image, the golden, the brazen altar, the golden altar. Here's the picture that said here in the scripture. It says that that angel, he stood at the altar holding a golden censer with much incense was given to him. So what happened was he goes out, the angel goes out to the brazen altar and he gets the hot coals. He gets those hot coals from this place where the judgment of God and the sacrifice of God had been made and the payment of sin has been offered. And he carries that over here and he pours those hot coals in the golden censer, golden altar, and he takes and he puts the incense there and it goes up. And he's there and he's watching it go up. Now this one is the picture of that angel. Go back to there, verse 3. 
He stood holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar that which was before the throne. Now, in the spiritual world, I want you to understand this. The incense is Jesus Christ. You understand that? Jesus is our incense. Jesus is the one that whenever we offer our prayers, whenever we offer our prayers, our prayers are mixed with Jesus Christ, and that's how our prayers are acceptable to Almighty God. Just as the priest came in and burnt the incense, and that aroma made the prayers acceptable to people, so was with Jesus. When Jesus came, he offered his life, and that is the incense of God. That's why it's important for us to understand. We pray in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean his name. That means his very character, his very nature. It's because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is that our prayers are even accepted before Almighty God. You got that? That's what happened. And how is that? Because he died on that cross. He paid that price for sin, and therefore he is now the sweet aroma of God, and it joins with our prayers to go before Almighty God. I told you a few weeks ago when we were studying the Revelation, God never forgets prayers. Every prayer that has ever been prayed, God has it collected. And those prayers are acceptable unto God because the sweet aroma of Jesus That incense is a picture of the very virtue and merit of Jesus' life. Who he is is how we have the opportunity of offering our prayers. Now, look what prayers is talking about. Go back to verse 3 again. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding the golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. All the prayers of all the saints. You know what that means? That means all the prayers of all the saints of all the days were collected by God and in and through and by Jesus, they've been lifted up and acceptable to God. And it says that those prayers are now being answered. Those prayers are now going to be lifted up because they're acceptable to God. And throughout all the days, those prayers have been prayed. For instance, how many of you know the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer? You know the Lord's Prayer? This is one of the things of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. What is the prayer? We're praying for Jesus to come and to reestablish his kingdom, to purify this world and for him to be God over this world. That's what we're praying, right? So every little boy and girl and every adult and every senior adult in every place, that prayer, just that prayer, has been prayed. All those prayers have been collected together and they've been brought before this throne of God And in that incense of Jesus, it says right this, the altar, it's going up and it's about to be answered, bless God, amen? (laughs) Those prayers are about to be answered. Not only that, we saw in chapter 9, verses 9 through, I think about 9 through 11, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, we saw the prayers of the martyr. You remember that? Those who have been martyred in the great tribulation. 
And it says that their blood, they were under the altar and their blood had been shed. And they said, how long, O Lord, will you not revenge or bring vengeance upon those who have sinned against us? And God said, be be patient for a moment, but there shall be time. Now that prayer, those prayers of those martyrs are being lifted up by Jesus and they're about to be answered. In other words, he said, the answer to all those prayers, it's coming. It's coming. Now's the time. Look what happens in verse number 5. After he offers that altered incense uh, at the golden altar for the incense, look what happened in verse 5. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunders and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Boy, listen what happened. After he offers that prayer of incense and talks about the grace and mercy of God and the answer prayer, that angel goes back out and he goes to that brazen altar because remember, that's where the fire is. And he reaches in there with that sensor. He reaches in there to get the fire out. But instead of going back in to the the incense altar, he takes and he casts that fire upon the earth. He casts that fire upon the earth. You know what that symbolizes? It symbolizes the fact that God's judgment is coming upon the earth. He has offered this altar for all these years. He's given his son for the payment of sin for all these years. And for those who will not accept it, those who will not be redeemed, those who will not come in the presence of God, then God's holiness demands that he must judge this world. And he takes the fire of judgment and he casts it upon this earth. Wow, look at the picture he paints. Look at the picture. It says when he cast that fire upon the earth, it says he heard the sound of thunder. He heard the sound of judgment. The sound of judgment coming. You ever heard a loud thunder? The other day I was working in the yard and one of those cloud bursts came up. I didn't think much about it till right over my head some of the loudest thunder you ever had and it woke me up and I thought, I think I'm going to go inside. It was right over my head because it was a warning. It was a warning that judgment was coming. It says there's lightning, and lightning is to see with your eyes. You don't miss that lightning. You see it with your eyes. That judgment is coming. And the earth will quake. You will feel it in your bones that the judgment of God is coming. You see what it says? When he throws that fire upon the earth, everything about it says you hear it, you see it, you feel it. The judgment of God is coming. Then in verse 6, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Do you hear what that says? The first trumpet is blown and God is going to send hell and fire on this earth. Oh, Brother Mac, I'm not sure about that. Oh, Brother Mac, I'm not sure God would do that. I'm not sure that can even happen. I mean, hell that we're used to comes in the form of what? Ice. What is hell where there's fire? How could that happen? Well, I'm glad that you're wondering about that. 
Because God takes the first trumpet and makes it something that has already been a historical event. If you don't think it happens, just ask the Egyptians. <laughs> Go back and ask, ask the Egyptians. It's already happened. Mark in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It's when God said to the Egyptians, Moses pronounced that he would bring judgment, the judgment of hell. Remember that? The judgment of hell is going to fall upon the Egyptians, but the Jews in Goshen would be safe. And it says when the hell begins, it comes in hell and fire. It's not just an ordinary hell. It's hell and fire that came as one of the plagues of Egypt and judged them. Go on and read. It says if the Egyptians heeded the warning and went inside, they lived. But if they stayed out, they were killed. Both thee and their beast were killed. Therefore, the first judgment that's going to happen is something's already happened historically in Egypt years ago. But here's the difference. It's going to happen to one-third. One-third of the earth is going to be burned up. One-third of the trees are going to be burnt up. And all the green grass is going to be burnt up. Do you hear that? Now, we're used to catastrophes and, and, and things happen, but it'll happen over this little bitty corner and, and all of a sudden all of us go rally and we're going to help that little corner build itself back up. And when it'll happen again over here, something else will happen, a, a major disaster. And we go rally around there. What's going to happen when the hellfire falls on the whole earth and a third of it's burnt up and a third of the trees are destroyed and all the green grass is gone and therefore those animals that eat the green grass that you ordinarily eat, they're not going to have anything to eat. That's the first trumpet. That the judgment of God is coming upon his earth. But that's not all. Look at verse 8. And the second angel sounded in something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Now you've got to remember John is writing this in the first century. He doesn't have near the science or no, near the science of what we know. He doesn't even know his world. So what is it? He describes the best he can what he sees in this vision. And he sees something like a fiery mountain coming and falling in the midst of the ocean seas. A fiery mountain falling in the midst of the ocean seas to the point that a third of the creation creatures in it died. A third of the ships were destroyed. It turned into blood. It was a catastrophic event that happens in the ocean seas. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Any of you remember a few years ago the, the movie Armageddon? Y'all remember that? Any of y'all see that movie? Armageddon. You know what the movie is about? It's about that the earth had a huge, gigantic asteroid coming towards the earth, and it was going to hit the earth and destroy the world. And so what they had to do is they sent astronauts out there to blow up the asteroid so it didn't come and hit the earth. And hallelujah, we made it. It's wonderful. It's great. And that's just a movie. Well, here's the interesting thing. They picked a very interesting title, Armageddon. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean an asteroid, but you know what it does picture? That's exactly what this is a picture of. It's a picture of an asteroid coming from outer space, so huge that it hits the earth, it's on fire, and it falls in the midst of the sea and wreaks havoc on the seas, the ocean, 
and that part of God's creation. It is not far-fetched. We always have, we always, when we go to these movies, we always say, well, that's just a movie. That's just a movie. Well, this is not just a movie. You understand? You understand? All right. Look what it says, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, a gr- sounded and a great star fell from the heavens burning like a tar- torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. This is a picture of another asteroid or something like that that is a star that he says is burning like a torch. And when it comes, it, it, it destroys one-third of the rivers and springs of water. Now hold on a second. It's one thing for the ocean to be destroyed. That's salty water, right? But what about when it comes to the rivers and springs of water? That's natural water. That's clean water. That's clear water. That's what you and I need. We got to have water. We need water. So when all of a sudden this thing comes, and doesn't just affect the sea, but it affects the rivers and springs, and it turns, it is called wormwood. The word wormwood means to make bitter. Wormwood to make bitter. It falls upon these rivers and springs, and it makes their water bitter. Somebody says it'd be like drinking the water of the overrun of Calcutta. (laughs) How horrible it would be. But people were looking for something to drink, so they would drink the bitter water, and they would become diseased because of that. And one-third of the natural water, one-third of the drinking water, one-third of what this world will need has been destroyed. That's not all. Verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. The fourth judgment is that the illuminaries, the sun, moon, and stars, will lose one-third of their power, one-third of their ability to shine, one-third of their ability to heat, One-third of their ability to call photosynthesis to happen in this world. One-third of that. Now, if you want to find something interesting, go home and do this. Just Google in there and says, what would happen if the sun was no more? What if we didn't have the sun? Well, you don't realize how important the sun is. The sun's what warms our earth, right? It doesn't just warm our earth because it is such a powerful center of our earth. The gravitational pull of the sun actually keeps our earth in orbit. Did you know if we didn't have a sun, if the sun lost its power, that we would be a planet lost in space? We would lose the revolution around the sun and we would just be shot out into space. You realize that? If we lost the sun, do you know what in four years, you know what the temperature on the earth would be? The temperature on earth is predicted to be 400 degrees below zero chill factor. (laughs) Chill factor. I'm just putting that chill factor in there. Fahrenheit. (laughs) 400 degrees below zero. Nobody can live in that. 
Nobody can survive that. If you lost a son, you lost all that photosynthesis, which is creation of plants with the plants and the animals eat and we eat and, and then we eat the animals. It destroys the whole ecosystem. Do you understand that? And to lose one-third of the power of the sun, it also means you lose one-third of the power of the moon because the moon doesn't shine, but it reflects. <laughs> if the sun's lost a third, the moon's going to lose a third. The stars have lost a third. God has brought forth judgment even upon the illuminaries. But notice, those are the first four trumpets, and all four of them have to do with this earth. This world, this planet. But look what happens in verse 13. And I looked and heard an an angel, I mean an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Those first four trumpets are pretty tough, aren't they? But an angel, John saw, I mean, an eagle, John saw an eagle flying in the sky. That's one thing. But he heard the eagle eagle speak. That's new. And the eagle says, Woe, woe, woe. The threefold woe. Woe, woe, woe. He's saying those woes because of what is yet to come. And notice who he says it to. Very important. Look at that in verse 12. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. There are two words for dwellers on the earth. One of those words is paroikio, paroikio in Greek. And it means to be a sojourner or to be a pilgrim, just passing through. The other word is katoikio, K-A-T-O-I-K-E-O. And it means to settle down to settle down or to make it your home. It's interesting that that's the word, that last word is the word that's here. Woe, woe, woe to those who have made this earth their dwelling place. Woe, woe, woe to those who have decided this is all there is. That they live for this world and in this world, but they have forgotten that they are pilgrims through this world. They have not, they're no longer sojourners who are traveling through. They've made this world their home. They've lost their heavenly vision. They've lost their thoughts of God. They've lost about being in a world, another world after this world. They have totally focused in on this world. And this is all there is for them. Woe, woe, woe to you. Because if this world is all there is... Wait until you see the remaining blast of the three angels. And I challenge you, go ahead and read ahead. In chapter 9, you're going to be introduced. You know what's the unique thing about the next trumpet's blow? It's not having to do with the earth itself. It has to do with the people of the earth. The next judgment is where the pain and suffering comes upon the people of the earth, not just the earth. And it, it has some horrible experiences. Oh, there, there's one called the star, and he's going to come open the abyss. And demons that have been held captive since their very fall, they're going to be opened up out of the abyss, and those demons are going to be given authority to come and punish the people of the world. There's going to be angels that are going to be set free 
in order to prepare the Euphrates for it to be crossed over with a 200 million person army who's going to come and do battle. All of those things are set in motion, but the angel says this, woe, 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 if you are an earth dweller. I thank God I'm not an earth dweller. I'm a pilgrim, amen? I'm a pilgrim. I'm a sojourner. This is not my home. Matter of fact, every day I feel like this is less my home. I'm made for somewhere else. But my friend, if you in your life, and I want to tell you there are literally millions of people who are living as though this is all there is, get all you can in this world, for this is all that matters in this world. And if you are one of those earth dwellers, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that's what you're looking for, to find it in this world. There's something more. There's something more. If there's a message today, respond to the gospel. Today's the day of mercy, amen? Today's the day when, when the altar of incense is there and Jesus still makes us accept on the side of God and he hasn't cast forth the judgment on the world or the judgment on you. Respond to the gospel of Christ. Respond to the gospel of Christ. What a privilege. Now, I know this book of Revelation is tough, all right? I've had people say, well, man, how long are you going to be in this book of Revelation? I said, till I get through. That's why, till I get through. But let me tell you something. It is an important book. It is important for us to understand. It is not easy. But it is so important for us to understand. The old devil doesn't want us to study Revelation. Because he doesn't want us to warn the people of what is yet to come. And he certainly doesn't want us down the road to find out what happens to him when he gets thrown in the pit. You ought to be here that day, amen? We're going to sing hallelujah to the lamb whenever he's thrown in the pit, bless God. He doesn't want us to know that. But we're going to keep studying, we're going to keep studying, we're going to keep studying until we get through this thing, amen? Until we let God transform us by it. And if there's no other reason for you to be here, and I don't know where you are in the study of Revelation, here's one good thing. Do not forget what it said in Revelation 1. My D-Life group's in Revelation right now. We read, I read Revelation 1 yesterday. It reminded me. It says this, Blessed is every person who will read this word. And blessed is every person who hears this word. The only book in the Bible where that promise is given. So every time we gather together, if nothing else happens, you should be blessed because you've read it, because you've heard it. Amen? And there's always some nugget for you to grab. If you don't get excited about that altar of incense, you don't get excited about what Jesus does and makes your prayers acceptable, I don't know what would excite you. Because the fact that Jesus makes my prayers acceptable and that they go into the presence of God is an awesome, awesome truth. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter 
at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.